Today we're going to conclude our series called That's a Wrap. As my wife and I wrap up our 20-year season as your lead pastors, as we do that, I, I, I felt compelled, I, I, I felt uh, led uh, to reiterate some of the main themes of our ministry, things that I have felt compelled to focus on, things that I have consistently taught you over these past 20 years. See, I believe that God does things in seasons, uh, a season for this and a season for that. Some seasons are, are, are short and some are long. Our season uh, has lasted for 20 years. And may I tell you that, that, that this season has been one of the greatest seasons. We've enjoyed some of the best years of our life and hopefully uh, of this church as well. Well, all of us are about to embark on a new season. I believe that God wants to emphasize something different in our next season. Are you ready for what God wants to do? Well, you know, new seasons bring both excitement and a little sadness. Uh, I can tell you personally that I'm, I'm, I'm part excited and I'm part sad. And, and I think some of you would also be in, in that place because new seasons bring both excitement and bring a little sadness because, because in order to embrace a new season, then we must let go of the past season. And so even though a new season may sound exciting, it's still a little sad to let go yeah. of that past season. But before this new season begins, we are, we, are, we are remembering what we have learned in this past season. So I, I want to read one more time, one more time, I want to read our text for this series found in 2 Peter chapter number 1, verses 12 through 15, reading from the New Living Translation. It says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you have been taught, it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. Well, so far in this series, we've talked about caring, we've talked about giving, and we've talked about growing. Today, we're going to talk about serving. Don't stop serving. You know, serving is a foreign concept in our modern consumer mentality society. Truth of the matter is, most people's attitude today is, what's in it for me? And what have you done for me lately? But true Jesus people aren't consumers, they're servants. See, to be a true Christian means to be Christ-like. That's what it actually means, to be Christ-like. And what was he like? Well, Matthew 20 verses tw and verse 28 says, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. In John 13 and verse 15, Jesus said, I have given you an example of servanthood. And Jesus said, you should do for others what I have done for you. So God is calling all of us to servanthood. Yeah. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 24, Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. Oh, hear me this morning, people. Consumer Christianity needs to stop. I've told you in the past about when I was pastoring in Midland, one day I was sitting in my office and and uh, I, I received a phone call, and, and, and the man on the other end of the line uh, said to me, said, well, said, I hear you got some really good things going on out there at that Harvest Time Church. I'm hearing all kinds of things about it. And, and he said, he said I, here's what I want to know. He says, he says, what does your church have to offer me and my family? Well, I took about 15 minutes telling him about all of the exciting things that were happening at Harvest Time Church, all of the things that we had going on, every, something for every member of his family. But after I did that, then I said, sir, sir, you have asked me what my church has to offer you and your family. So I think it's all right if I ask you, sir, what do you and your family have to offer my church? I may think that's okay. Listen, it's time for consumer Christianity to stop. It's time for God's people to stop looking for a title and start looking for a towel. Let me give you four statements about servanthood this morning. Four statements about servanthood. The first one is there's a place for you to serve. Yeah, there is a place for you to serve. There is no lack of opportunity for servants. There are places that need to be filled. The problem so often is, is we want, we want the place that we're not qualified for. Uh, we want the place that we're not ready for. We want the place that somebody else is already in. I remember as a, a very young pastor wanting some places that, that in all honesty, I had no business occupying because I was not ready for those places. Those places would have eaten my lunch, and God knew it, and so he spared me by not putting me in those places. Let me give you a couple of tips that will help you discover your place. If you're, if you're trying to discover your place, let me, let me give you a couple of tips that will help you. The first one is this, and that is your place will provide you an opportunity to use your particular gifts. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8 says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts. Say different. Yeah, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. All things well? No, certain things well. Goes on to say, so if God, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness for others, do it gladly. First Peter chapter four and verse number 10 says that God has given each of you, say each of you. You may not think you have a gift, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of 
gifts. Perhaps the reason why you don't think that you have a gift is because you're looking at somebody else's gift and because you don't have their gift, you think that you don't have a gift. Or you look at a gift that you wish you had that you do not have and you think, well, maybe I don't have a gift. But First Peter 4 and 10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of gifts. Use them well to serve one another. What are we going to use them for? To serve one another. Well, you might say, Pastor, how do I find my place of service? Well, well, here it is. Discover your particular gifting and then look for a place where it is needed. Another tip is this, and that is your place will include something you have a passion for. See, God's not all about making you and making your life miserable. Some of you think if God were to call me into ministry, I would be miserable. No, you would be miserable if you were, if you tried to do ministry and you were not called into ministry. But if God has indeed called you into a vocational or a full-time ministry, then God will also give you a passion for it. Because God's not all about making our life miserable. See, the God who created you knows you intimately. And he knows all about you. He knows about you inside and out. He knows where you will fit. He knows where you will fit. Listen, my ministry doesn't fit everywhere. But it fits here. And God knew it. And there were other places that I thought I wanted to go, but that was not a fit for me. But God knew where a fit for me would be. And that was right here in this particular church. So God knows all about us inside and out. He knows where, where you will fit. He, he, he knows what will fulfill you. Because he made you. He created you. And so he knows what will bring fulfillment to you. And he knows where you will be most effective. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we find recorded of the account where Jesus went to the home of the two sisters, Mary and Martha. You know the story, and if you understand the story, you will know that Mary was a worshiper, right? She worshiped at the feet of Jesus. Mary was a worshiper. Martha was a worker. She was a worker. She was in the kitchen preparing a meal. Now, there's a whole lot more to this story than this, but included in this story is the fact that even though these two sisters were polar opposites, they both had their place. Just because you're not like somebody else, just because you're not like somebody that you might, you, you might look up to, just because you're not like somebody else, that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean, absolutely does not mean that there's not a place for you. Mary and Martha were sisters, but they were polar opposites, but they both had their place. And I understand that we usually praise Mary for her worship, and even Jesus did. But I guarantee you that when worship time was over, everybody was glad that Martha worked and dinner was served. Your place will include something that you have a passion for. Here's something that I have observed, and that is we're, we're usually pretty good at what we are passionate about. So discover your true passion, and you will have a clue about your place. But not only is there a place for you to serve, the second thing I want to say this morning about servanthood, and that is there, there's a people for you to serve, a people for you to serve. Now, I understand we should love everybody, right? Right? 
We should love everybody, but there is a particular set of people that we are called to individually. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that Peter was called to reach the Jews and Paul was called to reach the Gentiles. See, the truth of the matter is not everyone will receive us. Not everyone is going to receive us. We're not going to be effective and have influence with every person, but we will with some. We will with the ones that we have specifically been called to. Well, pastor, you might say, how do I find these people and how do I know who my people are? Thanks for asking. It makes my job so much easier. The answer is found in my next two questions. And the first one is this, who are the people that are already in your life? If you're looking for your people, who your people are, well, who are the people that are already in your life? Because you see, God has a way of getting us exactly where he wants us and getting us with the people he wants us with. You know, we make things so much harder than they really have to be. Fact of the matter is we often look for things that are already staring us in the face. That happened in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, where we find recorded the story of the healing of the lame man. And the Bible says in this story that this man was carried every single day to the gate of the temple. And there he would sit all day long, every day, and beg for money. That's the only way he had something to eat was that he was a beggar and he begged for money. Story goes that Peter and John come by one day and through his encounter with these two men of God, a miracle takes place and he is healed. And that's a great story. But my question is, if he was there every single day, and that's what the Bible says, that he was laid daily at the beautiful gate of the temple called Beautiful. So if he was there every single day... And if it was the practice of Peter and John to go to the temple to pray every day, uh, which it was, well, the question I have is how many times had they walked by him in the past? It wasn't the first day that they had seen this man. It wasn't the first day that this man was there. It wasn't the first day that Peter and John happened by. It wasn't, it had happened many, many, how many times had they walked by this man? I don't know, perhaps many times they walked by him. They went into the temple and went in there to pray. And while they were praying, they were asking God where they should go to minister. When the fact of the matter is they just walked by ministry as they walked into the temple. Ministry was already staring them in the face in the life of this lame man. Pastor, how do I discover who my people are? Well, begin by asking, who are the people that are already in my life? See, these people have probably been placed there by God for one of two reasons. Either they are there for us to help, or they are there to help us or both. Second question here is this, and that is, who are the people that give you an audience? We're trying to find our people. We're trying to find the people that we are to serve and to minister to and to be with and spend life with. Who will ask yourself, who are the people that give you an audience? See, see, not everybody's going to hear you. And some will not include you or even recognize your presence. These are not your 
people. And Jesus recognized this, and what did he say we should do about it? Well, he said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14, he said to shake the dust off of your feet and move on. And I believe that this is a word for somebody in this house today. Stop trying to fit into a crowd that will not make room for you. Stop trying to force a relationship with someone who doesn't seem to want a relationship with you. Write this down this morning. Go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. I'm telling you this morning, these are not your people. Shake the dust off of your feet and move on. But not only do I want to talk, do I want you to know that there's a place for you to serve, there's a people for you to serve. Third thing I want to say about servanthood this morning, and that is there's a purpose for your serving. There's a purpose for your serving. And the purpose for serving is actually twofold. First, your serving will benefit others. You agree? Yeah, your your serving will benefit others. All of us have people in our lives who are looking to us, depending on us, and, and the part that we play in their lives. The disciples looked to Jesus. And he didn't disappoint, did he? No, he did not disappoint. On one such occasion found in John chapter 13, Jesus literally performed the degrading task of washing the dirty feet of the disciples. People traveled mostly on foot in those times, mostly wore sandals, and so their feet would get dirty, and dirty is a nice word for what would really happen. Because it wasn't just dusty and dirty roads and muddy puddles that they walked through, but there was also the animal droppings that they had to deal with. So get a picture of that. And so it was the lowest of servant, the lowest of servant who had the job, the disgusting job, of not washing a little dust off of somebody's feet, but washing the, the dirt and the mud and the, and the dung. And I dressed it up for you church people. The lowest of servants to wash people's feet. And when Jesus and his disciples assembled and they were going to share a meal, they were going to eat together. On this occasion, there was no servant to wash their feet. Reading between the lines, I I just wonder, I wonder if the disciples might have talked among themselves. Somebody needs to wash our disgusting, dirty feet. We can't eat with poop on our feet. I didn't dress that one up. We can't eat with dirty feet. It, it, it's not right. It's disgusting. It's not, our, it's not our custom. And one of the disciples probably said, Peter, Peter, you do it. And Peter says, no, Andrew, Andrew, you, you do it. And 
And maybe Andrew says, no, this is definitely a job for Bartholomew. And one of the other disciples might have said, yeah, sounds like a Barth job to me. But in the midst of their passing the buck, here comes Jesus with a wash basin in his hands and a towel tied around his waist. There's a purpose for our serving. Our our serving benefits others. Yeah, see, see, there are some messes that need to be cleaned up. Last night, as so many honored my wife, and so much of what my wife has done the last 20 years and the last 50 years of our ministry is to be a servant that would clean up messes. Because God has put so many people in her life that indeed were a mess. But through her heart and through her love and through her servanthood, she's been able to help them clean up those messes. Yeah, there's some messes that only a true servant is willing to clean up. There are some people who are depending on our servanthood. Not only will your serving benefit others, your serving will bless you. Have you ever done something substantial? I I don't mean some little piddly. Have you ever done something substantial for someone who could not bless you back? It blessed you, didn't it? It blessed you. It made you feel so good that you were able to alleviate a need or you were able to help someone. You were able to minister to someone who could not do one single thing in return. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Back to the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, John 13, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. He says, slaves are not better than their master. And then he says, now that you know this, God will bless you if you do this. You mean I can actually be blessed myself? In cleaning somebody else's mess? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, see, see, fulfillment comes not from receiving all you want, but from serving and meeting the needs of others. The fourth and the final statement I want to make to you today is this there's a promise. To those who serve well. Servanthood has its rewards. First of all, we will receive earthly rewards. Listen to these verses. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. says, God will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him. Notice by caring for other believers. And Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 and 24 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. 
And Luke chapter 18, verse 28 through 30 says, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, we have left all. We have left everything to follow you. Jesus replied, anyone who has left anything for me will be paid back many times over in this life and will have eternal life as well. One more, Matthew chapter 10, verse 42 says, if you merely, Jesus said, if you merely offer someone as little as a cup of cold water, you will surely be rewarded. Servanthood has its reward. Now, you might think you are really giving out, man. I mean, you may think you are really doing something big and you're really giving of yourself and you are really quite the servant. But oh, I want to tell you, according to the word of God, what is coming back to you is far greater. We talk about giving and most people cringe when the preacher talks about giving, especially when he's talking about giving money. But did you know it's actually impossible to give anything? It's actually impossible to give anything because the Bible says that when we give out, that it comes back to us. And what it comes back to us, not only does what we gave come back to us, but it comes back with interest. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outdo God. Oh, you may think you're really giving out, but what's coming back to you is far greater. Not only will we receive earthly rewards, friends, we will receive eternal rewards rewards. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses nine and 10, make it your aim to be well pleasing to God. I, I, you know, it bothers me a little bit that we make so much emphasis today about, you know, you can never make God stop loving you. And no matter what you do, God's always going to love you. And, and I, I, I agree with that. I know that that is true, but I want to tell you that there's something else though, that we can displease God. We may not make God, we may not be able to make God not love us, but we can definitely make him not pleased with us. I don't know about you, but I want to serve God. I want God to be pleased with me. How about you? It's important. It's important in our conduct and what we do and don't do. That's important. Make it your aim to be well pleasing to God. And here's why. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now understand this. Be 100% clear with this. Although good works cannot save us, yet it will be our works that will determine the degree of our eternal reward. It's the blood that saves us. Nothing but the, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What make, make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can save us but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can save us but the grace of God. We will be saved or lost depending on what we did with what Jesus did for us on the cross. But understand also though that, that, that we will be rewarded or not rewarded based upon our works and what we did and did not do for God. See, heaven is not a one-size-fits-all kind of place. The Bible says the last will be first and the first will be last. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 through 15 says, On judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work a person has done. The Bible says that on judgment day, there's going to be a judgment of fire. And all of our works are going to be put into the fire. 
It's a, fi- it's, it's, it's a judgment of uh, a fire and a judgment of our works. On judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work a person has done. goes on to say the fire will reveal if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, meaning it might not. If the work survives, that person, what person? That person will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the person will suffer a great loss. The person will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames. That's not the way I want to get to heaven. How about you? That's not what I want in eternity. Here's what I know this morning. True servanthood done with pure motives will survive the test of fire and will be rewarded with eternal rewards. As your pastor, it's not my goal to just get you to heaven. Oh, I want you in heaven. I, I, oh, I would be just so oh, terrified to think that anyone under my care would not make heaven. Yes, it is my goal this morning to make sure that every single one of you get to heaven, but it's not just my goal to get everybody into heaven, but also I want you to have some rewards waiting on you when you get there. And those rewards are going to be based upon servanthood. They're going to be based upon works, going to be based upon what we have done and what we have not done for God and the motives behind those works. Are you still with me this morning? Don't stop serving. And if you're not serving, it's time to start. The takeaway for the message this morning is this. Serving should be viewed as an honor, not as a hardship. It's an honor to serve. It's an honor to be used of God. It's an honor to work for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we just love you today. We're so grateful and so thankful today. God, for your incredible, incredible blessings upon our lives. Oh, God, I, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were willing not just to come to this earth, but to come to serve, to come to give your all. I honor you and thank you today.